Well, this morning we're continuing our series called Speaking of Christmas. And uh, in this series, what we're doing is we are looking at the four Gospels. Those are the first four books of the New Testament, which is the story uh, of, of Jesus, his life, his teaching, his ministry, and his death and his resurrection. And, and there are four accounts that tell the same story but have a different perspective, or they may be writing to uh, a different audience. And the reason why isn't because one is different than the other, but it's just this reality that there were different people who chose to, to finally sit down and write out Jesus' life, and they wrote it from different vantage points, uh, knowing that there are going to be different people reading these that needed to maybe hear uh, an emphasis on something Uh, more than an emphasis on other. Last week, we looked at the Gospel of Matthew, uh, which is the first one in order in most of our Bibles. Uh, And we talked about the history of Christmas. And we talked about how when we look at things like the genealogy of Jesus, we find this authenticity of a, a, a promised Messiah, King, Savior who would come, who would come from the line of David and would be royalty, who would continue on the blessing that Abraham uh, was given from God way, 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 way back when. This morning, we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark. Now, some of you may be scratching your head all week thinking, the Gospel of Mark says nothing about the story of Christmas. And I will tell you, you are both right and you are wrong. The the Gospel of Mark doesn't tell us necessarily anything uh, in terms of the story of the events of the very first Christmas, but it does point to the story of Christmas. The Gospel of Mark, it's kind of interesting to know, uh, most scholars believe was the very first of them physically written. And that some of the other Gospels probably used it in some ways as a source. Uh, what most people would believe is that a man named John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. And he actually took the personal eyewitness accounts of Peter, who is one of the original disciples, and he wrote it down. Now, this is a fast-moving Gospel. While it's the shortest one, for example, one of the most uh, commonly used words in the Gospel of Mark is the word immediately. Because it's constantly shifting and moving. And the Gospel of Mark... Uh, starts in a way that is is one of those that is kind of a, a, a just, let's just get to it. We're not going to like have any fluff. We're just going to get going. And what it makes me think of is, have you ever been woken up suddenly in the middle of the night? Maybe where a child just is scaring you like it's a ghost. Or for me, I can still never forget, uh, my wife and I had just gotten married. Uh, I had, some of you guys have heard this story before, but I, I had these lovely things called uh, Shigella and then C. diff, which are wonderful bacterial infections, which uh, they help you lose a lot of weight, but not in the greatest way that you'd like. Uh, I mean, the, the results are real. Um, but I was not feeling well, and I will never forget, you know, when you're sick, you never really, like, you're both like, you either sleep really well or you sleep awfully, right? Because you're like sweating out a fever uh, or you're just not comfortable. And I will never forget the, the weird pain that I felt in my right eye out of nowhere from a dead sleep. How many of you guys have ever been poked in the eye to be woken up? It is an awful thing, is it not? What's interesting is that uh, my wife's uh, dad says uh, that he actually one time got poked in the eye to be woken up by her. So this is like an ongoing thing. May none of my children tarry on this legacy. But it's a weird thing when you're just all of a sudden woken up. It's this sudden thing where you don't really have time to react. You don't really have time to ask questions. Things just go and you're trying to figure out. I remember kind of waking up like, what in the world? Now, to be fair, truth be told, I guess she was trying to feel my temperature to make sure I was alive. So um, we're going to give that a pass. But still, there's nothing fun about that being woken up like that. And the Gospel of Mark just starts in a way where he's not going to mess with the story, the traditional story of Christmas like Matthew and Luke does, because to him that's not the most important thing. 
You know, some of us feel like that's probably weird, but it's interesting to know that for centuries, the early church didn't even celebrate Christmas. They didn't celebrate it like we do in particular, but it just wasn't this big deal because to them, the good news truly was the cross. But Mark does tell the story of Christmas uh, in maybe a unique way. And before we get to the story of the story, I've got to tell you a story. You see, in God's relationship with his people, last week we talked about how Jesus came from the line of David, the royal lineage. Well, David, while he had some flaws, was overall a pretty great king. But one of his downfalls is that none of his descendants were really great kings. In fact, what ended up happening was that after David, uh, the kingdom of Israel eventually was split into two. And out of the many kings that came after, a very small percentage of them truly would have been deemed as good or righteous or faithful to God. And so eventually what ended up happening is the Babylonian Empire, this huge empire of the time, eventually took over both kingdoms and the people went into exile for 70 years. For 70 years, they were taken from their land and they were put as slaves and and other type of things uh, in the Babylonian Empire. And so during that time, they had these people called the prophets. And prophets were these, these men and women that were used by God to speak on behalf of God, to speak truth, and to give them both messages of judgment for their wrongdoing and the sin that they had, but also to give them messages of hope that God had not abandoned them, that God still had a plan, that God still loved them, but it was time for them to turn from their ways, to repent of their sin, and to follow God, because he had a plan for them. Now, we are talking about, after they come back from exile, we're talking about hundreds of years in which the Israelite people got to go back home, but it didn't really feel like home anymore. Maybe some of you guys have experienced that before. Maybe after you uh, left your parents' house, after you graduated from high school, maybe they moved and you, uh, you, you go back home and it doesn't really feel like home. When my parents... Uh, they decided to move after living in the same place for 19 years while I was in college. And I'll never forget the first holiday that I came, quote-unquote, home. And it just didn't feel like home. My brothers weren't there. I didn't know people who lived in that area. Um, It just wasn't the same. And uh, the Israelite people experienced this. They experienced just this, this long period of hearing these promises from the prophets of this Messiah, this Savior. But they were just anticipating it. They were waiting for it. And the truth is, what they were waiting for in their plans was going to be this king like David, who is going to come and he'd be faithful to be God, to God, but he would also be like just this warrior who would totally take over whatever empire of the time. And they were just going to become this powerful nation again. That was what the Israelites wanted in their waiting. They wanted a king in their image. And the truth is, that was never in God's plan. But either way, you have to imagine that for generation after generation, there are these people who heard the stories of this faithful, loving God who had taken them out of slavery in Egypt, who had given them this kingdom, had done so many great things. But for so many of them, they probably just were sitting there and waiting. You guys ever been in those situations in your life where you're just waiting? 
And you believe God is present, you believe God is there, but man, in the midst of the waiting, while you're waiting for the test result, while you're waiting for that next job, while you're waiting for the phone call, you just start to get weary. And so for God's people, there's many of them who became weary. And sadly, many of them lost the faith. They began to to, to just sort of leave the faith in general. But again, there was hope. The Gospel of Mark begins like this. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. Now, every gospel pretty much begins by just making this proclamation up front that Jesus is the Messiah. There's no questions about like, oh, let me do this big reveal at the end where it's like, aha, and now we see he's the Messiah. They, 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 don't, they don't start that way. They just begin uh, by telling us, yes, he's the Messiah. He's the Son of God, as it was written in the prophet, uh, the, the Isaiah the prophet. And this is what he says, and, and these are going to be uh, kind of some compilations of uh, both from the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Malachi. He says this, he says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight your path. Now, some of you may already know who they're talking about. You see, throughout the Old Testament, throughout when we read uh, the prophets, both the minor prophets and the major prophets, we find the fact that God is using his prophets to tell the people that he is making a way. That he's going to make a way in which they will be saved, in which they will be restored, they will be redeemed. Now, so much of it, though, again, with that message is always, but repent and turn back to me. It's not like, hey, I'm going to make a way for you however you want to do it. It's, I'm preparing a way from you, but you need to begin to prepare your hearts for this. You need to turn around from what you're doing and begin to follow me. Now, again, a story before the story. Mark continues on. Uh, pretty quickly, and he's going to tell you about this guy named John the Baptist, and I'll tell you about him in a minute, but you have to know the story of John the Baptist to really understand how profoundly wonderful our God is in his preparation for saving us. There's this prophet named Zechariah, and Zechariah had a wife named Elizabeth. Elizabeth actually is related to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And you have to understand that in ancient culture in particular, there was nothing more important in terms of a status and a pride, than to be able to have a child. You know, today I still know friends and family members who um, infertility, things like that, is, is a big deal to their, their, their journey. And by no means will I minimize any of that. And may anyone who's going through that know that God sees you, he loves you, and he's with you. But Zechariah and Elizabeth are getting older in age, and in pretty much any hope that they're going to have a child has vanished. And there's this peace in which they're faithful to God, they love God, they know He was there. But there's this peace where I still have to think, like many of us, you have this one sort of thing where it's like, but God, please. And maybe eventually you start to feel jaded and you lose hope. Well, eventually there's this day where Zechariah, who is a, a, a priest, uh, in the temple, goes into the temple to do a traditional uh, way in which he's making a sacrifice. And the Lord speaks to him and says, listen, you are going to have a son. And he actually removes his voice so that way he can't speak during all this time. And there is just this profound joy, this profound sense of God's favor and his goodness. But they're told that their son has a special task. Their son who is going to come as a miracle. Their son who is going to uh, just bring great joy to them. 
is also going to come to prepare a way for the way. And this is what it says in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. It says, And so John the Baptist, the, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the cousin of Jesus, appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing. This was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's many more uh, stories of, of, of John the Baptist throughout the different Gospels. But here's what you have to know. Long before there even was a Christmas story, Long before there was the birth of John the Baptist, long before there was the birth of Jesus, there was a faithful God who was constantly trying to prepare the hearts of the people for what was coming. And we find out that when John comes and he begins to preach this message, he begins to fulfill some of the prophecies that will happen. You see, uh, a prophecy, again, when we think prophecy, we really do a lot of times think like crystal ball, like, let me tell you your fortune. And the reality is, again, a prophet was just a spokesperson for for God. But what's incredibly interesting is that if you look into the Old Testament, there's over 300 prophecies that Jesus and his life fulfilled, including John the Baptist's life. That's that's pretty good. I I mean, I got to say, like that's that's pretty good. There's a lot of span of time there um, that often you know gives an authenticity to who Jesus is, to his message, to his calling. Um, But it's interesting. That we find that we find that in uh, in, in, in Isaiah chapter uh, seven verse fourteen it just says therefore the Lord will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you shall call him Emmanuel. There's so much throughout the book of Isaiah in particular that we see sprinkled in there. But this morning I had this profound thought that many of you already know. But I thought maybe some of us need to hear again. Emmanuel, many of you guys know this. Sometimes we see it spelled with an E. Sometimes we see it spelled with an I. It doesn't matter. The meaning is the same. It just Emmanuel means God with us. And I'll be honest with you guys, this week, it's one of those things where do you ever find something so simplistic, so profound? Something so like, well, duh, Aaron, we've sung that for years. We, we know these things. But to me, it, it hit me in a new way this week when I, when I was just beginning to think about our God, the creator of all the universe. And when I'm studying the Old Testament and I just see the unfaithfulness of the people, I see God blessing them in amazing ways and then them turning their back. I see in the story of the New Testament people who John told to repent and gave them a a baptism of forgiveness of sins, some of those people would become the same people who would yell, crucify him later. And then when I look into my own life, and I see myself at times praising God here on Sunday, but wandering astray other days, I just think, how profoundly loving is a God who will sit in the tension of our unfaithfulness. Who despite our goodness, our faithfulness, our, our batting average, for lack of better terms, in terms of faithfulness to keeping up our side of promises, that he would still send his son. That God still would be with us. 
And this morning, before we go any farther, some of us just need to know, because we're feeling weary, we're feeling unworthy, we're coming to grips with the fact that maybe we haven't been as faithful as we'd like to admit, some of us still need to hear the truth that God is still with you. Not because you deserve it, not because there's some sort of thing that you can do to earn that, but there's just this reality that our God so desperately loves you. Like a parent who sees their child going astray, it's someone who will never stop pursuing you, who will never stop loving you. That's the good news of Christmas. But it goes on in, in, in Isaiah, and we, we find out even more of the promises that we have. We find out uh, in Isaiah chapter uh, 9, verses 6 through 7, it just talks about how, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the greatness of his government and his peace, there will be no end. In Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1, it just says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and the release from darkness for the prisoners. I don't know about you guys, but I need that message in my life. I need to know that in the midst of the valleys that I go through, that God is still there. You see, the whole point of Mark's beginning of his gospel is this. He points to this idea that the prophets, and again, a prophet is a spokesman for God. The prophets of the Old Testament, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi, and the prophet who was, was John the Baptist, they prepared the way to show us the way. And the amazing story of Christmas is not the fact that the way is some sort of path. Not the fact that the way is some sort of, of group or some sort of thing, but the way is quite literally a person. It's someone we can have a relationship with. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus just said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I don't know about you, that's good news and that's bad news. That's great news because it's pretty simplistic on how we can have new life. How we can be in good standing with God. How, despite the fact that in the Old Testament, the king didn't work, the, the judge, the deliverer didn't work, the, the priests, the prophets, none of those could fully wrap ourselves around that the only way to the Father truly was going to be through Jesus. But the bad news for that means is many of us have tried the wrong way so many times. And many of us continue to try the wrong ways. Truth be told, many of us are insane, right? What's the, difference, what, you know, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. I don't know about you, I've been insane for a lot of my life. My, my parents would, would definitely vouch for that. My wife probably still would vouch for that. But it's because there's been so many times that I think that there's another way. I think through a relationship I'll feel whole. I think through accomplishment, success, if I can just do enough good things... That is going to be my way to earn God's favor, His love, in a status of son. But the reality is, is Jesus has made it so simple. That the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of Advent, is that He is the only way. You know, I was thinking this week just about how there's many people who are going through different things. 
You know, I know our friend Justin, as Brad pointed out, is um, down with his mom and with his family as they're, they're saying goodbye. You know, other people who this, this is a season for them in which a lot of grief is happening. A loved one has passed away and Christmas is just going to feel different. I know some of us who are waiting for test results. I know some of us who are waiting on the next job. We're waiting for the next paycheck. There are so many of us who are sitting in the midst, sort of like the Israelite people when they were in exile and the Israelite people after they returned, who are sitting in the middle of a time period where they are just waiting. And God's saying, continue to be faithful. Have hope in me because I promise the answer is coming. But some of us have grown weary. Let me tell you some wisdom that I learned a few years back from from a lady named Ann Smith who is this uh, titan within the Church of God, which is sort of our larger uh, family uh, of of, of church for us. And uh, she's this lady, she's in her, I think her in her 90s, and she just has this wealth of wisdom and just this way about her. And she speaks at many of our uh, different events. But I love what she says about this. She says, live with expectancy instead of expectations. Live with expectancy instead of expectations. You know, Advent is all about expecting and, 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 and anticipating just this arrival. But when we look at the Israelite people, one of the reasons why I think they didn't keep the faith, why they continued to wander away, is that they had expectations. They wanted a God. They wanted a king. They wanted a judge. They wanted everything in their image. If we go way back to the story of the Old Testament, we eventually see that while God is trying to give Moses just all these plans of how he's going to keep them as their people, the people put together this idol to create so they can worship. I mean, there's there's this history of God saving and us messing it up very, very quickly. And some of it, I believe, comes out of just this reality that so many of us have these expectations. We have these expectations for how the holiday season and Christmas is going to be. Let me just tell you, they're not going to go that way. We have these expectations for what a marriage will be like, what a relationship will be like. We have these expectations of how our kids are going to be. We have these expectations for how a job will go. We have this expectation for our life. And we also have these expectations for God. And the truth is, when we look into Scripture, God has made many promises and I promise you, he never, he never falls short of them. He always fulfills them. But for us, so, so often, we have these expectations of God to follow through on promises that he's never made to us. We've made to ourselves. We, we, we've said, God, here's my, here's my Christmas wish list. Come through on this or it's over. How many of you guys have ever done that? Be honest. How many of you guys have ever prayed a prayer and said, God, if you don't do this, I, I'm done with you? I have, which is really silly when I think about it. God of all the universe, who's ever powerful, who's my only hope, if you don't make sure that I get this really insignificant thing that I won't remember about in five months, let me just tell you, you're not getting my attention anymore. How silly is that? Who am I that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of all creation, would send his son, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us to be with me. That's really good news. So I guess here's, here's my hope and my prayer as we're going to close out. It's just this. Learn to begin to foster a heart, a mind, a life that is built around expectancy rather than expectation. Because again, 
Jesus is coming back. That's one of the best news of Christmas in general. That it just doesn't end with this baby in a manger. It didn't just end with, with Jesus on the cross. Yeah, our sin ends there. But he's coming back. And eventually he's going to, to bring us back into full, glorious relationship with him again like it was in the garden. But until then, some of us need to drop some of our expectations. And we need to just live with expectancy, waiting for God to move. And the truth is, when we start letting go of the expectations that we have, that we just probably shouldn't have in general, we're going to find that we're going to have a lot more joy. We're going to find that it's easier to have faith in a God who will follow through on the promises that he has made rather than on the ones that we're just wanting him to make for us. We begin to see that God is constantly moving. He's constantly at work. You know, one of the issues for the Israelite people throughout their history was the fact that God was moving. God was preparing a way. God was moving mountains for them to be able to make the way for Jesus to come. But they didn't see it because their expectations were for something that the world had. Their expectations were to be just like everyone else. They weren't upon the promises that God had given them. And this morning, I would urge you, if you're sitting in a valley, if you're waiting, if you are just feeling like, God, I don't know if I can continue to do it, Would you let go of the expectations you have? And would you begin to just have an expectancy of a God who is coming, a God who is already there with you, a God who is already making a way for you. He's already got the answer to the the problem that you're just feeling like you can't figure a way out of. And it's not going to be your answer. It's not going to be in your timing. But I promise he is going to do it. He's going to make a way. And the most important thing is so many of the things that we just get caught up in, they're so minimal. Would we just realize that at the end of the day, the whole big end game, the fact that Jesus has come, that he's made a way, that God is with us, man, the rest is just gravy. The rest doesn't really matter that much because we can have hope, we can have faith in that. My friends, I'll leave you with this. If we seek to be faithful, we just don't need to forget that God is with us and he loves us. Some of us just need that simple message right now. Yeah, I know, a a little five-year-old could tell you this too. But personalize it. God is with you. He loves you. Maybe put your name in there this morning. God is with you, Aaron. God loves you, Aaron. Not for the things you do, not the way that you perform, but just because I am good. And I've made a way. But may I stand before you this morning and speak on behalf of God to let you know that truth, that he is with you. And that he loves you. But may I also be the John the Baptist in your life this morning too. And say, repent. May you turn from the brokenness. The sinful ways of your life. That just leave you empty. That give you false expectations. And just never can sustain you the way that a relationship with Jesus can. Would you turn from those? And would you just receive the gift of life and love from Jesus Christ? I'm going to ask you guys to stand this morning, and uh, I'm just going to say a prayer of blessing, and then we're going to be uh, dismissed. Let's pray. God, I, I don't know everyone's story in this room, but God, if any of their stories are like mine, God, I know there's brokenness. I know there's shame. God, I know there is 
just a, 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 a tension, a, a feeling of, God, are you going to come through? God, this morning I pray that we could have a faith. God, a faith that your, your son promised that if we had a faith in him so strong, we could move mountains. But God, this morning, some of us have mountains in our lives. God, there's family drama. There's, there's, there's issues in marriages. There is grief. There is financial issues. There are so many different things that are going on. God, there's, there's tension in our world. There's brokenness. But God, I pray that we would realize that God, you sent your son to be the light in a dark, dark world. God, would we realize that God, when we look at your, 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 your batting average, when we look at the history, when we look at the way that you fulfilled every single promise that the prophets made, God, would we begin to just be able to say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you with the small things and I trust you with the big things. God, I trust that you are for me, that you are with me and that you love me. So God, this morning, God, would you just fill us up with your Holy Spirit? God, what a gift that was that your son Jesus said. He promised before he left that he would give us, that would be this wonderful counselor, this, 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 this presence that would quite literally live inside of us, that we would be this new temple. God, I pray that you would use your Holy Spirit to encourage us, to correct us, and to just propel us into this world. God, to do great kingdom work that you've called us to. God, fill us with that spirit. Fill us with your love. And God, would you give us direction as we leave this place? God, give us opportunities, God, to love our neighbors. God, would we be uh, a spirit, a love that people experience that is there to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to help release the captives who have been held in bondage and in darkness. And God, would you remind us that, God, we have nothing to fear. Give us boldness because you are with us to the very end of the age. God, would we know that truth that you love us? Would we celebrate this season of your arrival to be with us? And God, would we have an expectancy for your return again? And an expectancy to be used by you, to see you move. God, we love you and we thank you. It's your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, have an awesome week. We will see you next Sunday. Make plans. We have awesome plans that you're not going to want to miss. I'll be in the cafe after service if we've never met.